another episode of Conversations with Francis on the Village Ladies podcast. Over the weekend, I shared a photo that I had taken somewhere in the early 90s of me sitting at a window seat on an airplane, and it was of the flight departing Dominica. And I wrote the post um, talking about a pattern that had been created of arriving and departing the island and the emotions that that pattern created or continues to, I continue to experience whenever I arrive in Dominica and the emotional, the violent emotional response when I leave. And I could not think of a better intro or segue into this week's episode, adjusting to life in America and the void that was created after we left Dominica. As I shared in previous episodes, I knew nothing about American culture, but there was pure excitement in arriving to this great new foreign land of opportunity that I wasn't prepared for some of the experiences and that pattern that I talked about earlier that my family had created. Uh, when we arrived here, the first thing that we got introduced to was our new identity. And that was the identity of African-American. And we didn't know what that meant. We wasn't sure if it, we weren't sure if it meant we were part African, part American in America, or if it was a combination of both, but we didn't know which part dominated which, and we didn't know which part we had to lead with because we came with our full Caribbean identity. In tracing back to answer the question, how did I get here? I want to just talk a little bit about our family's transition to the United States. And like I said, we came with our full Caribbean identity, but we had this other identity that was superimposed on us. And there was a steep learning curve because, like I said, we didn't know which one we led with. So whenever we left and went out into the social spaces, we went as Caribbeans. We had our Caribbean accent. We had our Caribbean dressing. And we had our Caribbean style that really wasn't um, equipped for... American lifestyle. When we first arrived here, we came in the month of November. So we left a very warm climate and we moved into a season that was known as winter. We had never experienced winter in Dominica before. And so my mom had to quickly get us some corduroy. So I wore um, pink corduroys, which by the way, was very like, um, had to get take some getting used to because in Dominica, like the day before, or I should say the year before, because we did stay in St. Thomas for the year, but the culture and the environment and the rules were the same. The month before, the day before, we were not allowed to wear pants. And the day later, we arrive in America and it's too cold to come in our summer skirts because we were freezing and we hadn't adjusted to the weather. And so imagine me wearing pants. I felt all the things that we had been trained the first 11, 12 years of my life to feel. I felt dirty. I felt like I was a target for a guy who might I might lead into lust. I felt uncertain. I felt lacking confidence. And so we wore the pants and we arrived in the United States uh, breaking the one one of the primary rules that we had been raised not to break, 
And then um, filling out the paperwork, I wasn't involved in that. My parents were, but they didn't talk much about this new identity. And so the excitement that I had really dominated or was prioritized in my world over all the other things. However, when we went out, we were expected to know a lot of American culture because by appearances, we we're, are black and we don't know the rules. We didn't know the rules. But one of the first things that my parents shared with us when we moved here is we could not go to school immediately. So we arrived in November and it wasn't... Um, winter break or Thanksgiving break or anything like that, the issue that they fir we first encountered was getting our school credits to transfer and then having to take a test to, to, to determine whether or not the standard of education that we had received in Dominica was comparable to the standard of education in the United States. So my brother, my sister, and I had to be tested. And granted, I was uh, 11 and I was in high school in Dominica. And I don't know if that's not a thing for Americans here, but I couldn't, I guess it couldn't be justified that I should go to high school um, at 11. However, my brother was finishing up his high schooling in Dominica when we first came and he was about 15 and he tested and no, he was 14 and he tested and they, he was placed in the 11th grade and I was placed in the seventh grade at an intermediate school and my sister was placed in the third grade I believe I should at least have been placed in the ninth grade if we're matching the logic of my brother's placement and my sister should have been placed closer to me uh, instead she was placed further away from me and so I began my petition to move me up uh, a grade and a half, at, at two grades, at least one grade ahead. Um, my brother eventually graduated high school and he went on to college at Virginia State University. And I continued um, my, pro my process of learning uh, algebra. Well, I, it's pre-algebra I was introduced to. And I passed that and the following year... I was introduced to algebra that I actually liked and enjoyed, but I was really still upset that I was placed so far back because I believe that I did well enough on the test. I did not see the results, but I do believe that I should have been placed at a higher grade. And so um, I did the most and the best uh, in making friends and learning this new culture, adjusting to the way that people spoke, modifying the way I spoke so that I could be understood. My accent was very thick. I had never been in America before. And most of these students that I was interacting with, they'd never been in the Caribbean before, at least not lived there. Uh, and so there was just a lot of adjusting that um, took place on my part, uh, not only at school, but we went to a, we found a church that actually matched the exact doctrine of the church that I grew up with in the village and the church that we went to in St. Thomas for a year. Uh, and then it matched the same rules, like no pants, no earrings, no instruments. Actually, this church had drums. So it kind of was an upgrade from what we had. I, I don't think um, this church also required you to sing on pitch on your note. So the the singing louder and only clapping 
Um, this was another upgraded this church, but, um, I just was making the most of it. One thing I knew I was in America and I was just gonna adjust to and live the life that the people who were here before me that presented the idea of what America is and was when they came to Dominica, I was now about to experience. However, right out the gate, a lot of what we were experiencing didn't match what the people presented, but we were determined and I know I was determined to make it work. Um, a short, a year, a year and a half after we were placed in my school, we moved from the place that, um, I had just gotten used to or starting getting comfortable with to across uh, the town, all the way on the other side of the town, uh, known as the part that people refer to as the highway, which was just also incredible. It was there that I experienced the most, um, learning of American culture. It was there. I was made very aware of my Caribbean-ness, but I was determined. I'm very social. Um, it was there that I had to learn to be understood. Um, so one of the things that I did right away was go and try out for sport. I stayed after school one day because I wanted to see what real like school really was uh, in seventh and eighth grade. It really was just riding the bus, going to school, going home, riding the bus, going to school, going to home. And I wanted to participate more. Again, there weren't any like groups or to help you navigate into social life within the school. You just learned by observing, learned by um, surviving, you know, survival instincts kicked in. And I just watched the students. Uh, the thing that was most apparent is I did not dress like the students. I dressed like what a lot of us came to call just come. Just come is like when you stick out like a sore thumb that you just arrived in America from a foreign country, like a developing country. And so I looked very just come. I sounded very just come. I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand the, the dialect of English. I I know they were saying some of the words that I was saying, but it wasn't pronounced the same. Um, again, I, I didn't know much about this African-American lifestyle. So I started learning a, a little bit about it. But one thing that the school that I went to, the high school that I went to, they, they did do during Black History Month, which was also a new concept to me, um, is that they took us on these conferences where we would go to um, these expos and we would be exposed to different career options, different businesses, different companies of potentially seeing what kind of jobs that we would want to do. And so uh, I, we would go on those those trips and we'd come back and they were fun. Again, I just observed, I watched how the students interact with each other and eventually I picked and choose which habits, uh, the wording I picked up on, the the body language, the styles. There were clearly some do's and don'ts in American culture, the social aspects of it. Like you, there's places you kind of went and didn't, couldn't go. Um, the churches, what they weren't diverse, but America is a diverse place. I didn't understand the church set up for me. It was one thing if the church in Dominica was not diverse because the population in my village was a hundred percent black people. Um, but America, the, the communities, they were diverse communities. Um, there were a, sometimes I observe a street that separated the different ethnic groups. But again, it was still within the community that it was made up of different people. So the churches were 
different. Um, every ethnic group didn't go to one church. It was either black church, white church, diff, you know, Pentecostal church. It all depends. It, it, I, I didn't go to Pentecostal church, so I don't know. I did go to Pentecostal church way later, decades later after I've been here. Um, and that church was diverse. But the first set of churches that we went to, it was either strictly one race or another. Um, and so that was, that, there was a lot to get used to. But the, the place that I learned the most about American culture was in the church, in the black church. I learned the old Negro spirituals. I learned the pattern of worship was very similar. The moaning, um, the the... The, the the song styles um and then it also in the church they did do a lot for black history month they took us to the museums and so i got to learn about this new identity that had been given and um i didn't embrace it that much i knew i had to check it off on a piece of paper but i didn't have to be that identity cuz i already had my identity so I went through the formalities of checking the box that matched my outward appearance, but when I needed to embrace my identity, my family started finding spaces where Caribbeans met, and that was usually in Maryland. Eventually, it grew beyond Maryland, and it went to, we would congregate in New York, we would congregate in New Jersey, we would meet at different events. So this new identity that I had um, been labeled or placed into, it came with a lot of negative expectations or feelings that were thrust onto the people in that group. Not that the people themselves were negative or um, didn't have goals for themselves, but there was this... um, this expression of negativity that was almost always alluded to when speaking to that group. And so I just remember our family not necessarily embracing that label the more we learned about it, but we embraced the communities that we belong to. We embraced that it was a supportive community, but we were Caribbean and we held on to that. Um, even though all the other systems and the construct for how this country worked was designed to not encourage that part of our identity. And so it was up to our family to ensure that we held on to it. And so we did, and we did our best, but... um The area that we had moved to, there weren't many Caribbeans. And it made us have to travel to great distances. And that was very hard because when we first moved here, we didn't have a car. And my parents bought their first car. It was a big green machine. And they bought it for $100. And I'm telling you, it was pure steel. uh, Until one day, my parents went to rent a station wagon with the wooden panel on the side of it so that we could make a trip to New York. I don't know what happened while my stepdad was driving it, but he ran right into a steel lamppost, and that was the end of that car. And um, they bought another car. This time they spent $400 more on it. Same kind of green, not as sturdy as the first one, 
But by this time, my sister and I became very aware that we were living at a standard of poverty that was not cool or hip that matched my peers. And so usually when we drove past like a friend that we knew about, we would duck because we started developing shame for the level of poverty at which we were living in the United States. Um, And so one of the other things that we also did to hold on to our identity was this picture that I shared on one of my posts and is every four years or five years or so, we would travel back to Dominica. Well, our first, the first time we traveled back to Dominica, we had been in this country for five years. And in my wanting to capture that whole experience, I think I need to break it out even more because the day-to-day living was different. The the grocery shopping, the, the we had to work. I remember I got my first job when I was 14 years old and my brother also got his first job when he was probably 15 years old. And um, my parents, it took my stepdad about a year to find a job when he, cause he moved here a year before we did. And my pa- my mom and my brother and my sister and I joined a year later. And my dad, my stepdad worked at a jan- as a janitor at the schools. Like the, um, he finally got a job at the, the, the county schools and he was working as a janitor. And my mother worked as a nursing assistant, although she would manage an estate when she was in Dominica. And that's the whole reason why we ended up moving to the state of Virginia. It's when an investor came to Dominica and saw how well she managed that estate. He encouraged her to consider moving to the United States. And it wasn't the traditional Caribbean route that most Caribbean people take, which is from Dominica, at least our island, to either New York or Florida or Canada or England. We came to Virginia, and I didn't even know how to where Virginia was located on the map. I didn't even know if Virginia was a state. I didn't know if it was a city. I just knew it was Virginia, and we were going to go to Alexandria. And like I said in a previous episode, when people had asked, where were you going to move to the United States? I, I said, either Alexandria or Virginia. If I said Alexandria and people were like, where's that? Then I would say Virginia. And so um, when people responded to like, okay, Virginia is a a state I know, I was like, yeah, Virginia. Um, And so my mom got a job as a certified nursing assistant. And I didn't even know all what that meant because I only knew her as to manage uh, an estate, but I... didn't pay that much attention to her job because she worked. My mother worked two jobs. My stepdad worked two and a half jobs and my brother worked. I worked. And so it happened literally a short time after we had moved here. Two uh, Two years after we moved here, I had to get a job so that we could help out with the expenses and I was able I was I was getting paid three dollars and thirty five cents at my first job and there would pay pay um cycles where I would get three hundred and sixty dollars after taxes and I was um fourteen, fifteen years old getting that kind of money. I bought my own bike the first I bought my own bicycle, a ten speed bike I bought my sister her 10-speed bike. My brother bought his own 10-speed bike. 
Uh, we started buying our own clothes. We would put clothes on layaway at the clothes Kmart. So every school year we would go to school with new clothes. But there were like jean jackets were all the rave back in the 80s. Uh, well, I didn't have a lot of hair and I didn't do the hairsprays, but I eventually got a jerry curl um, when I was in the ninth grade. And my, cur- my I got luster silk curls and my sister got carefree curl. And I could tell you luster silk curls were way cooler, way greasier, shinier. I mean, I, back then, the shinier, the drippier, the better. So mine was getting all the extra sprays. And my sister had Carefree Curl, and they supposedly was, you just put your cap on overnight, and you did like two sprays, and your hair was supposed to be like moisturized the whole day. Well, I beg to differ, because sometimes she'd come home, and I felt like I needed to spray like four pumps of Luster Silk in her Carefree Curl. Um, and so um, I actually ended up paying for my own curl set um, because I was making my own money and I often sometimes would pay for her to get hers done. Of course, I was always trying to convince her to get Lustre Silk and she was always trying to convince me to get Kefri Curl. But when I went, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit, when I was in seventh grade, I wanted, um, not only did I want the, the denim jackets, like right now I'm 50 years old, so I have like two, and I have one in white. So you could still see the need for me to still have that desire met, right? So I wanted a denim jacket, and I, for some reason, I couldn't justify spending the money that it cost to get a denim jacket, so I never got one. But the thing that I wanted the most was a Coca-Cola rugby shirt. It just looked like the kids who wore that. And they had the Coca-Cola um, wording in the, the little white rugby space on the front of their shirt. Like, they were the coolest. And I wanted some some bass um, uh, shoes. And, like, if you were anything cool, like, that was your wear. So my goal was to get a Coca-Cola shirt. So I remember I was determined to get one by my freshman year. And I remember telling my mother that, I, you know, by then I was working. I had been working since I was 14. So I remember telling my mother, we went to Bradley's and I wanted to put a Coca-Cola shirt on, on layaway. And I think when she saw the price, it was like $39.99. And I'm telling you for Caribbean, seeing $39.99 in America, that's like highway robbery. In ter- if, it, if it had said like $6.99, then she would have probably gotten me like four of them. But it said like third, and that was just like one of the ones with the different Coca Cola print, and not even a cool Coca Cola color, you know. So and uh, and it had the denim jacket, and I think that was like sixty nine ninety nine. So when I kind of said I want that one and that one, and she's like, uh, no, no, you're, that's not the one we're getting. And so it just like etched in my mind that those brands were just way out of our price reach because. We needed to buy food. We had to make sure, like, whatever other bills. there. I didn't understand rent. I didn't know about rent and all that. And I just knew that we were living in our house, so I didn't know any of that. And I was just literally upset. Every day I went to school, I saw some kid wearing a Coca-Cola shirt, and I didn't have one. So I made the plan for my freshman year that I was going to get a Coca-Cola shirt. So I went to the local Kmart, and I picked out all my clothes for the new school year and we put them on layaway 
And then I think I went to Bradley's. I don't know if they had layaway at Bradley's, but they I might have gotten it at Bradley's. So what Bradley's did, I went to Bradley's and I told my mom I wanted the Coca-Cola shirt. It just so happened that they also had rugby shirts that didn't have Coca-Cola in the front. It was like blank. And I think when I said I wanted that one, my mom just happened to see the blank one. And I think her question was, what's wrong with that one? And I'm like, well, nothing but everything. And I was not trained or I grew up to like talk back to my mother. So if that blank one, so she, we got the blank one. And I remember picture day in ninth grade. And you couldn't tell me that my my aqua colored rugby looking shirt didn't have Coca-Cola on the front of it. I wore that shirt and I wore it on picture day because... I didn't have Coca-Cola in the front, but I, it was the closest thing that I came to it. And I had my photos taken in my rugby shirt. And I was just, oh, and by the way, I had some shoes that looked just like bass. They weren't bass, but they looked just like, same color. And I didn't have the brown leather. I had like blue. Uh, it wasn't leather. It was like patent leather, but matted. It wasn't shiny. But it, it laced up like the bass shoes. And I wore my non-Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola rugby shirt. And yes, I was dressed to impress that day. And I had my photo taken. To this day, I have a copy of my yearbook, my freshman yearbook. And yes, you will see me prominently displayed with my lustrous silk jerry curl, nicely padded and even on all sides with my greenish blue light aqua color rugby shirt blank coca-cola space in the front and you can't see my shoes but i'm telling you i'm wearing those bass shoes so i was like the total caribbean person representing fashion that's none of it it's name brand um to this day i'm not so much into name brand but if i need you know I've been on, um, my husband and I, we've been on the site looking at the Coca-Cola rugby shirt and I still get that deep gut cut in my gut because I can't bring myself. It's now like a, a, what do you call it? Vintage. So it's not like a vintage shirt. So it's, it's equally as expensive today as it was back then. And so my kids all know the story of me, my strong desire to want a Coca-Cola shirt and not having one. I'm still to this day too cheap and grained in my frugal, like being frugal, that I cannot bring myself to spend that much money on a vintage Coca-Cola shirt. But I think I just might bite the bullet and do it. Oh, and then um, another fashion that was, it was like Carl Kanai and, um, uh, oh my gosh, I, I can't remember it, but some shoes that were in and they were like, 69 89 bucks you know as and i remember um going to ames and i saw some shoes that my friend had and i had liked them so much and they were some feli shoes at the time and i was so excited i bought some and i remember wearing them to work after i had worn them maybe once before and i got to work and my, there was my coworker who saw my shoes and he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you finally got some name brand shoes. And so he was so excited and he picked up my foot and he looked at the shoes and he was like, they're not real. <laughs> they're, 
they're not even real. They're not even real Fila, but they're like real fake. And so I felt a little shame. And I was um, looking back, I'm a little upset that I I actually felt a little shame because I had not at the time developed the confidence and the stability in my um, understanding of my full self, that who I was and understanding that being who I am and the choices that I had made for myself was good enough, regardless of what somebody else thought about it. And so um, arriving at a place where I look back and I'm able to own the story as I'm sharing with, with sharing it with you now, um, I did feel a little bit of shame at the time and a little bit of embarrassment because it was done in a pub- uh, public setting. And I believe I did not have the confidence, nor did I develop the confidence at the time to walk in the full sense of my well-being. I had not owned all the facets of my identity. Um, Being about 14, 15 years old, I really was just adjusting to the culture. But I share all that to say, um, part of the sharing of this story and the ownership of the arriving and departure, as I shared the, the photo to capture the essence of our need to maintain our cultural identity, but to reconnect. We needed to reconnect to home. We needed to reconnect to a sense of freedom that came with just being. We needed to reconnect with our culture. We needed to reconnect with our community. We needed to reconnect with our village. We needed to reconnect with our identity. There was just constant push and pull of um, adjusting to life in the United States. And then there was a need and a longing to reconnect with home. So the pattern that we had created as a result of transitioning and migrating from Dominica to the United States also created a need for us to create a pattern of returning to reconnect to home. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Francis on the Village Ladies podcast. I truly appreciate having you here again. If you have any questions, if there are any areas you want me to expound on, I am happy to do so because, of course, my whole life can't be captured in about 20 minutes, but I definitely could go back and fill in some of the gaps in a future episode. Uh, to learn more about the work that I'm doing, visit carrytofullterm.org, and you could always visit my my work at francisrobin.com. Thank you for joining Conversations with Francis on the Village Ladies podcast. I look forward to sharing some more with you in future episodes.